Since the fall of 2016, Dipsney has awarded free planning and assessment services to more than 50 collecting institutions in New York State. But one of our site visits sticks out from the rest as perhaps the most unusual. In our first application round, we received a submission from the Marion H. Skidmore Library at Lilydale Assembly in Lilydale, New York. If that name sounds familiar, it might be because the community was the subject of a 2010 HBO documentary called No One Dies in Lilydale. I'm hearing crush, crush. I'm having somebody. Uh, I am, I am in a car accident. Um, who is that? My daughter. Okay. Uh, she's wiping your tears. Okay, and she's asking you, please, don't cry anymore. I am happy. The community that would eventually become Lilydale formed in 1879 around the religious movement Spiritualism, a belief that the dead have the ability to communicate with the living and do so to offer spiritual guidance. The camp was a melting pot where free thinkers, suffragists, Quakers, spirit mediums, and others all came together. Today, Lilydale's year-round population is a little under 300 people, but every year more than 20,000 visitors come to consult spirit mediums and for classes and performances such as this one last year by a group of visiting Tibetan monks. Lilydale Assembly was founded after a period in southwestern New York's history when fringe religious figures popped up with an uncommon frequency. You're probably familiar with the Oneida community, Joseph Smith, William Miller's Millerites, Charles Russell, whose Bible students morphed into Jehovah's Witnesses. The community formed after a period of the 19th century referred to as the Second Great Awakening. There was so much churn of religious conversion in southwestern New York at the time, that in 1876, the Presbyterian minister Charles Grandison Finney dubbed the area the Burnt Over District because there was virtually nobody left to convert. Marion Skidmore started the local library in 1886 in a tent outside her home, and its collection grew with each donation from visiting lecturers. Today, the library's sole employee, Mandy Shep, refers to herself as a quote-unquote paranormal librarian and oversees the largest collection of books and research materials on spiritualism, as well as other related documents and artifacts, including spirit paintings and even a bookmark made of human hair. So this is by far the coolest bookmark I have ever discovered. Oh, yes. Uh, I just found this in uh, a copy of Ohaspe, which is a channeled Bible. Uh, it's got a nice little poem. You can see that girl's hair. Uh, this is from a 12-year-old girl, probably who is summering here. And she also has a lovely little sketch. Oh, yeah. And there's also some loose hair to repair it with, oh. which is, this is what I found first. Oh, okay. Uh, I flipped through the book mm -hmm. to catalog it, and then just this blob of hair came out, and I <laughs> freaked out for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, but if you can see... That's Mandy talking to Diani Feige, Director of Preservation Services at the Conservation Center for Art and Historic Artifacts, who supervises the Dipsney program and helps administer its services. In early 2017, Diani traveled to Lilydale to conduct an archival needs assessment. I talked to her about what happens during a site visit like this one. How would you describe an archival needs assessment to someone who has no archives training? Well, in an archival needs assessment, we're really looking at the 
practices and policies and systems that organizations have in place to deal with their archival collections. It's looking at things like collections management, the way that they arrange and describe their collections, um, how they're even thinking about collections. You know, I've worked with a number of organizations where everything that they have is considered one collection. And so with standard archival practice, we would encourage them to identify kind of more specific more uh, granular, detailed collections within that that big picture. So really we're encouraging organizations to try to think about their collections in a way that aligns with the, the policies and practices that professionally trained archivists use to think about, arrange, describe, and make their collections accessible. On the day of her visit, Diani talked to Mandy about the library's founder, Marion Skidmore, the suffragist movement's connection to the community, the mysterious practice of spirit painting, and more. It's really very quiet and peaceful here. It snowed a lot over the past two days, but today the weather got warmer and all the snow is melting. I don't know if you can hear the dripping. Uh, So these are two portraits of our founders. Uh, This is Marion and then this is her husband Thomas. Uh, Marion founded the library in 1886 as a tent library in front of her home. Uh, which is now the office of the National Spiritualist Association of Churches. Uh, it's their headquarters. Uh, these are several of Marion's original books oh, from her okay. collection. Uh, all of the ones in this case were books that belonged to her. Uh, so you can see sort of the, the variance in topics uh, that were present in the original library collections. It wasn't intended originally as a spiritualist-only library. Uh, it had a lot of free thought, a lot of philosophy, a lot of cultural knowledge, a lot of classic literature. Um, You see the Voices from the Spirit World is a channeled book. And then you have interesting things like um, like sarcognomy, which is basically phrenology for the body. Okay. Uh, So you see these interests in health, this interest in well-being, this interest in other religions, this interest in feminism. And it's, it's very wholly encompassing of the, the zest and zeal and the purpose of free thought, which is getting outside of your own bubble and like expanding your consciousness, expanding your worldview, and becoming aware of more things other than just what you encounter in daily life. Mm-hmm. Marion was a very proud supporter of women's suffrage and women's rights. Uh, she sort of threw herself into it from a very early age. I th- personally, I think it's because she was uh, in an arranged marriage. Uh, she was a wealthy uh, child of a wealthy family. Her family ran the Johnson Carriage Company, uh, which in 1812 had sales reaching all the way to Indiana from Utica, New York. So uh, her family was wealthy. Skidmore's family was wealthy. They did construction. 
uh, bridge building, railroad building, stuff like that. So they kind of threw their resources into the town and sort of built Lilydale into what it is today. So she served as a delegate for a lot of women's congresses. She went to D.C. to represent it in the National Women's Suffrage Association. Uh, Susan B. Anthony and her met on a train uh, on her way back from D.C., uh, and became fast friends, and she invited Susan B. to speak here in 1890 for the first time, and uh, she continued to speak here until 1903-1904, so shortly before her own death. And yeah, uh, there is quite a big history of mm-hmm. women's suffrage and spiritualism. Um, the Victorian mindset was that women were more delicate, uh, so they have these delicate sensibilities and they can't do a lot of labor and they can't do a lot of thinking. Uh, but you, you get this uh, adage at the time, which is weak in body, strong in spirit. So women are seen as being more religiously prone or being as more apt to be a spiritual conductor. Right. Uh, and then you start to see a lot of female trance mediums on these free thought and suffrage and abolitionist uh, lecture circuits. But they start making these appearances and you get ladies like Cora Richmond and uh, Victoria Woodhull that are these trance mediums. And if they weren't in a trance, they wouldn't have been normally taken as seriously. Uh, It was unusual for just a lady to get up on stage and speak and be able to hold a captive audience. However, a woman in a trance was seen differently because it was possibly a man that was talking through her. So they weren't necessarily her thoughts or messages. They were this wise spirit's thoughts and messages, and this nice pretty lady is just a conduit. Uh, So she's not being burdened by these heavy thoughts. It's the spirit speaking through her is having these heavy thoughts, and she's just sort of an innocent bystander. Well, so are you going to elaborate on what a spirit painting is? Yeah. So a spirit painting is basically a thing that comes about uh, in a multitude of ways. There were a few ways you could do it. Uh, Modern days, it is done by going into a trance or channeling and then just losing yourself on the canvas. Okay. Uh, There is a really interesting dude from Brazil that channels paintings and comes up with like these huge masterpieces in under two minutes. Oh, wow. Like he will just throw paint on his hands, close his eyes, go all over the board. And it's a beautiful thing. Like he's done um, pieces that look like Picasso's and he's claimed to have been channeling Picasso at the time. So he's sort of trying to uh, resuscitate the masters, which is kind of neat. Um it's also cool because he doesn't really have his own style. It's all it's very exemplary of what he's channeling. I see, yeah. Uh, so what what happens in this particular instance is they would put this canvas in a cabinet, uh, like a spirit uh, spirit cabinet is the thing that they were called, or a mediumship cabinet, uh, which is basically just like a black thing that's the size of like an armoire or mm-hmm. like a, a wardrobe, and uh, you just put the canvas in it. Uh, you put your art supplies in it as well. And then you close it up completely. Uh, Sometimes the mediums would also be in the cabinet. Sometimes they would be leading the seance outside. Um, If they were in the cabinet, they would be bound and tied together with handcuffs and ropes and stuff so that they couldn't escape because there is that element of performance Mm -hmm. to it. Um, But in about two or three hours, this would be done. 
like this very large scale life size painting. Uh, the Campbell brothers were known for life size paintings. Okay. Uh, that was their deal. Um, and you basically get like this very fine powdery type finish uh, in the painting uh, where it's, there's not a lot of like markings in it. There's not a lot of um, process right, evident in right. its creation. It just sort of is. Mm -hmm. um, the Bang sisters used an interesting method where they would put the canvas fake, uh, face down on a table and then they would hold a seance over it and then they would lift up the painting. And as they lifted it, you could see the painting just materialize oh, wow. in one fell swoop. Wow. And as soon as the painting was stood uh, fully erect, it, the eyes of the subject would open. <gasps> Uh. Lilydale Assembly and the Marion H. Skidmore Library are located in Chautauqua County in southwestern New York. To learn more, visit lilydaleassembly.org. Documentary Heritage and Preservation Services for New York is a program of the New York State Education Department in partnership with the New York State Archives and New York State Library with services provided by the Conservation Center for Art and Historic Artifacts. Our program coordinator is Anastasia Matikyu, Dipsney's preservation specialist is Jillian Marcus, and our archive specialist is Amelia Parks. I'm communications assistant Jason Henn. Special thanks to Diani Feige at the Conservation Center, as well as Barbara Lilly, Holly Peacock, Maria Holden, John Diefenderfer, and Claire Fleming at the New York State Archives.